Patrick Warburton join us here in the Fig Nation. Comedian, actor, voiceover talent. But I got a beef with you, Holmes. Oh, bring it, sir. Uh, and and with that voice bring right it. right there, when I uh, when I showed my daughter yeah. who was going to be in the studio with us today, uh, she called you the bad man because she's a huge B-movie fan. Mm. She doesn't like you, Mr. Tennis Player. Oh. Ooh, trying to kill uh, Buddy or Barry, Barry the, bee. the Bee. What's up with that, That's man? Right. That was one of my favorite moments when I was trying to smash Barry with... Uh, Barry goes, that's a big magazine. And uh, Ken goes, it's Italian Vogue, mostly ads. <laughs> Why does yogurt night have to be so difficult? Was just, Jerry just loved that line. Jerry signed Because he directed, you know, so right. he was in the room all the time. I spent more time with Jerry on the B-movie right. than on Seinfeld. What? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, we weren't in a whole lot of scenes together on Seinfeld. And uh, we, as I was talking, I've talked about this before, I did sort of try to avoid him when I was there, only because uh, I had such great admiration for him. He's a very generous guy, and he's a, 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 a very, very sweet man. But I uh, I just felt like I put my foot in my mouth or something. I just wanted to hit my marks, get my laughs, and then have them go – uh, just be trouble free. So, yeah, mm-hmm. We like him. Bring him back. But I mean, if I started talking to him, it would have just gone south. <laughs> I would have. I would have said something stupid. <laughs> I don't know. This but is then a... came B movie and A OK. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Barry, yeah, Jerry's just uh, yeah. It's just uh, it, it was just my lack of confidence. <laughs> Dude, on the show. Well, listen. You knew when you got invited back to a stage. It was stage nine at CBS Radford. That was hallowed ground because. The first year I did an episode was the sixth season, so it, that show was, you know, on fire, and mm-hmm. you just wanted to be on it. So anytime they asked you back, you just felt very fortunate. Did not go to craft service, just stayed in your trailer. Oh, no, you did. It was the best craft services of <laughs> oh, any show man. ever. It's ridiculous, yeah. Was that a case of Patrick Warburton joining us here in the Freak Nation? Was, this, was it because of the tenure that you spent in the business trying to get that break? which you realized that this was going to be your break as Putty on one of the most popular shows ever, you just didn't want to screw up what you had worked for because you didn't uh, want to step it, on Jerry? Uh, no, it wasn't, you know, and it wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't avoid him like the plague. It was just that I just <laughs> thought, look, just just uh, get your job done, do it well, and uh, hopefully they'll invite you back. That's all. So Barry Martyr is Jerry Seinfeld's producing partner, and they do comedians and cars getting coffee together. (laughs) So Barry is the guy who has written these letters to, you know, uh, corporations for decades now. There's literally nine or ten books of these. (laughs) And they're absurd letters, and he gets these responses. And uh, so uh, so, uh, that's why Jerry wrote the foreword and, uh, you know, the books and whatnot. But um, but they're really stupid, and that's why, why, you know, why I like – like uh, these things. Okay, but hold on though. The letters are a setup. I really thought there were these this many psychos in the world. Oh no, no, no. It's one guy who's written letters to all here, here's a letter, John, just give me one. So this is like this is an example like what this is what this is what Ted does. Dear Good Cook Fork Company, I just want to tell you how uh, happy I am with my fork. The Good Cook Fork Company <laughs> makes a very good fork, maybe the best fork I've ever used, certainly better than my spoon. Uh, <laughs> use your fork on the following. Mashed potatoes, melon chunks, cranberry roll, beets, corn, <laughs> lettuce, cake. Please let me know that the people who made my fork were thanked. They deserve that. In the meantime, I will continue to use my fork on the following. Sandwich, meat, pie, pineapple, <laughs> imitation crab yams, gumbo. I want to be uh, up to date on uh, other fork designs. Will there be more prongs? 
<laughs> Best wishes, Ted L. Nancy. And then they write him back. The rep writes him back, and they're like, "Wow, we really, you know, we're very happy that you like your fork. I assure you that we will uh, thank the uh, manufacturers." But obviously, it's probably the first time anybody's ever thanked them, and they're thrilled. And you know, so you got uh, your manufacturer there. You got your uh, Brett Bradshaw here, brand manager, who will now call up the manufacturers and say, "Don't kill yourself." Right. We got some good feedback here. There are people out there that love your work. Yes. (laughs) Jeez. Okay, so I read, hold on just a second, Kenny. I read that letter to Ralph's about the the psycho sponge that is affecting this guy at night. I truly thought that came from a nut. So these are all setups. This is brilliant. This is from a brilliant mind. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's a bit nutty. (laughs) Letters from a nut. Yeah. What have you found the responses from people? Just, Just the fact that they believe some of these letters, that this is actually somebody out there? Well, um, you know, corporate responds to these for, and they'll respond for a number of reasons. One, they think it's hundred percent earnest. You know, he usually keeps it pretty clean and they're well thought out. So they, they might think that he, um, um, you know, he might, um, ha- have issues. He might be on the spectrum here maybe, um, or they, this might be product control, right? Or what would it, uh, you know, th- th- maybe they're being tested. So like, okay, well, we have to respond to this. We might, uh, our jobs might be on the line. So they, they always get back. They always respond. And, um, you know, maybe at a certain point, right. you know, after uh, he's hit him a few times, they might, uh, <laughs> all right, this guy's uh, making some sport with us. That's enough. I mean, there's got to be two things that happen. One, they look at each other like, there's no way they're messing with us, right? right? And because, two, there's no way that anybody would actually take the time to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest here. There's no way that anybody would. I mean, they're not messing with us, right? There's no way. But yeah. if they are, oh, and he caused, but he does cause you know real headaches for for these people, which is great. You know, he'll contact you know a Holiday Inn Express and you know uh, you know somewhere in uh, Ohio. You're my favorite uh, hotel. I always stay at you. I'm going to be staying at your residence here. Um, I have one request. I bring. I need to bring my own uh, ice machine. <laughs> like, oh well, we have an ice machine on uh, the you know. The uh, sixth floor and the fifteenth floor. I can't leave my room. I need to bring. They go back and forth. I need to bring my ice maker. Uh, I've measured it, and it, I actually have three inches of clearance in your elevator. And it gets oh right by God. reception. Um, you know, and so they're like, "You can't bring it." And he goes, "Listen, I have extra swaths of carpet. So if I tear your carpet, but I've got matching carpet for all your carpet and the downstairs, you know." And they go back and forth like, "You can't bring your ice machine." And you know that they're, they're actually buying into this. Patrick Warburton, live audiences, okay? Seinfeld, bell curve. Not a lot of people know about, you know, you say your joke, you wait till the laugh kind of subsides a little bit, then you continue. Is that a learning curve that people have with live audiences? Because, I mean, they're not always a thing. They're not always a thing of the past, but live audiences aren't always live audiences anymore. So, like, is that something that struggle... Enjoyed. They're, they're not, you know. But when we did rules of engagement, a lot of people thought, you know, is that can? I said, no. We shoot in front of a live audience. Sometimes, um, some scenes you can't shoot the entire show in front of a live audience. So what they do is they shoot a half to two thirds in front of a live audience, and the other third is pre-shot. Otherwise, you've got an audience out there sitting for six or seven hours for a show, and that's too mm-hmm. long. So what they do is they end up showing the scenes that were pre-shot to the same live audience, and then they grab the laugh track off of that. Got it. But uh, it is, uh, you know, the audience is, um, is a player. And so you, there is a, a you know, you kind of feel it back and forth, you know, as far as timing goes. 
the actors always have to stay in the moment and whatnot, but you have to kind of sort of like let those laughs, those laughs, you know, um, settle down before you, you know, proceed with the scene or whatnot. But it's just, you kind of feel each other out. But then translate that to movies or voiceover work. It's a lot of silence around you, yet keeping that character up is essential. Yeah, well, voiceover work, especially because, you know, and even from what, okay, it's the exact same thing as what you guys are doing in here. Right, you are true. in a closed room in a closed space, and there's nothing giving you energy. Mm-hmm. You have to obviously drink lots of coffee. That's what we do, <laughs> right? You know, um, voiceover booths a lot of times tend to be very, very cold. And you're in there, so you have to manufacture everything, you know. You have nobody else to work off of, and uh, you just got to bring the energy up. Yeah. Is there a time when the producer says, Patrick, I need more energy, you happy bastard. Please bring it. <laughs> Has that happened to you? Um, Maybe not the happy bastard. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, they'll always say, they'll say like, uh, yeah, we need a little more energy here. Um, yeah, maybe he's a, because you know, a lot of my characters tend to be down here. You know? <laughs> uh, also, a lot of them sound alike. You know? I'm not exactly a chameleon. Um, but uh, you'll go, what's the difference between Kronk and Joe on Family Guy? Nothing. Um, well, there's, you know, Kronk, he's kind of, Kronk's a little bit more down here like this. And Joe is just more of an earnest, I guess, cop fellow. Peter. But even though you have to manufacture so much energy in a VO studio, at the same time, my God, no makeup, no nothing. You don't have to look anything. Like, we could just be like like we are now, hats and t-shirts. There's a little bit of a breath of fresh air to that job as well. I guess, but I love makeup. I love it. <laughs> There's the line for this interview. That's the one. We got it early. Bam. We got it early. No wonder you and Kenny get along. He loves his TV makeup, too. I'm kidding. What the hell's that about? I'm kidding. <laughs> we learned something new it's about it. Like our- a little bit of rouge on a yeah. you know, Thursday oh, morning, right? right? Come on. Yeah, Holy no smokes. Anymore. No judgment. Do you go through all of your characters on stage, or are you Patrick Warburton? No, so this is uh, interesting. Yeah. You know, I mean, I open the show, I walk out on stage, and it's like, you know, it's like 10, 15 minutes of stand-up, which it's one of the reasons why I never did stand-up, because I sort of have a high bar what I like, and I just would never want to be a mediocre stand-up. Now I'm forced to be doing stand-up, and, you know, you have to, the good ones eat, drink, and breathe this stuff their whole lives, and, you know, and now I've really just started doing this, and um, I'm enjoying it. But it does take a lot of work, and um, uh, but that's how the show yeah opens. Yes. Do you, Are you consistent with your show openings, or do you add new material if something, whether politically or sports-wise, that is just absolutely hysterical breaks that morning? Do you ever add that in? I'll add a little bit. I mean, there was one little thing I wanted to add. I didn't even know. I didn't even know how, how I could add it in, but because I, I just laughed yesterday, I'm looking at the news yesterday, and uh, a United States fencer. Just got banned for a year from taking a knee at the Pan Am Games. Yes. I was like, he just got punished for a year, and nobody saw that. <laughs> nobody gave a crap. You're, really? You took a knee at the Pan Am Games? I mean, how did that not cause just more giggles than anything else? Like, what? <laughs> you really want people to pay attention to you. You really do. I don't think this is about the cause. I think this is... <laughs> Fencing. Fencing. <laughs> a guy took a knee, and nobody paid attention. Until now, because there's nothing to talk about. Uh, would you take a knee on stage? <laughs> <laughs> Who would suspend Patrick Warburton? Seriously. <laughs> sure. National? Yeah. Well, there's my company right yep, there. Yep, there it is. I have become the national guy. 
I have guys, you know, there's old timers that play golf, and all they do is watch golf on TV. And if you watch golf or sports, that's when you're going to get the national car commercials. And I got guys come to me, you're the national guy. I'm like, gosh. <laughs> I've kind of been grinding it out for 33 years. <laughs> I'm glad I'm just the commercial guy now. I'm the TV commercial guy. This is an older dad talking yeah. with a five-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. You have one daughter? I have one daughter. Okay. She's, is she your oldest? She's second oldest. Okay. Listen, how in the hell? My daughter's five-and-a-half years old. Mm-hmm. She can be six miles down the block and still find ways to kick me in the nuts. Wow. Did that, that had to happen to you with your kids early on, right? Yeah, 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 yeah I guess, I, you know, I guess yeah. so, but it, it's been so long since uh, they did. He's been they, numbed. No. They've, they've fully recovered, so this is, you're still in that. This is Kenny's worst nightmare because every time he asks somebody this, it's always reciprocated. This is the first wall that he's hit where yeah. he's like feeding. Help me. Please tell me this is going to stop. Please. Wear protection? I don't know. I Yeah. Because they, you know, they're not thinking about it. They're not mm-hmm. thinking, "Oh, I might hurt Dad if I land right here." Bam! They just, uh, or maybe they are. Maybe she is. Would you have wanted to wait later in life to have kids? Well, it's tough to say that with four kids. Because, Look how because great they are too. I, being in the media business too, we had the same struggles of trying to find the gigs and the jobs. And I, there's no way I don't. I feel I could raise a family in my 20s or 30s when I just had no security financially, <laughs> mentally. Yeah. Uh, would you, looking back, is it the best for you to have kids early in life? Well, I, you know, if we were to plan on it, mm-hmm. we, we never would, especially in our mid-20s, because <laughs> you, you go from, I mean, I, look, I remember I was, um, I had a roommate, my, my uh, good buddy, uh, Greg. We lived across the street from the beach in Santa Monica. This is back when I in my early 20s. All we, all we had to do, we're both actors, all we had to do is like knock out a commercial or two a year, and that would pay for beer, food. <laughs> Rent, you know, play, you know, go on the beach surfing, playing volleyball with the, all, you know, down there at the State Beach in Santa Monica, um, shooting pool at night, drinking beer. Two years later, I'm married. I live in Van Nuys with a mortgage payment and a kid. I'm like, what the hell? Happened? <laughs> you know, and uh, but it throws you into reality. Now, it got me serious about what I what I what I did. You know, was doing career wise. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I felt like I needed to focus more. Okay. You're going to spend a few less nights a week going out drinking and partying. You're going to have to focus. And so maybe I you know, wouldn't have even gotten off or gotten any work if um, you know, it had been so easy for me. But So that was a lot on my plate. You know, and we ended up having, you know, having four kids. And I, I look back now, and now it, it all seems right, but it was a struggle at the time. Now, I have a, a cousin, and you know, he just got married like 51 or 52 and just had, a, Bam! Know, a, a, and just had, a, had his first kid at like 52. And my mother's like, oh, it's just too old. Doing this, and I go. It's actually perfect, Mom, because you know when I started having kids, I still want to go out and do damage with my buddies. You know, now all I want to do is sit home and watch, you know, Netflix or whatever. So what a great time to have a kid at fifty. Just you got your little kid, you're playing, you're goofing around, you're watching your new Narcos show or whatever. And, uh, you know, yep. You know, I go. It's perfect. It all up. comes together. You got it all under one roof. You're just fine. You know. <laughs> 